Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. This is a, a phenomenal book of the Bible. I've been enjoying going through this because it's so timely for not only where our world is, but also where our church is right now. You see, Nehemiah and his rebuilders, they experienced oppositions when their critics saw tremendous progress that they were making. And so that they knew that the only way the, the critics knew their best way to stop that progress was to use fear to intimidate God's people, which is still done today. If people do not like to see what the church is doing and, and what we believe in, they try to use fear tactics, trying to stop the work that God is doing. But folks, God is greater. Amen. His people needed to realize in our scripture today that they were stronger together and they needed to rally together with like-minded people. Because remember, I want you to know something. Whether you feel this way or not, no one fights alone if they are a child of God. No one fights alone if they are a child of God. These were a unified people rallied together doing God's work. And when you get that together, that is something that is unstoppable. So with that said, let's just jump right into our text this morning. Uh, Again, Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to be looking first at verses 1 through 3. The whole bigger section is is 1 through 10, and I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, Sanballat, we know because of the other chapters, he was one of the chief critics of what God was doing through Nehemiah. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan officers, What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think that they are doing? Do they think that they can build the wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from rubbish, excuse me, a rubbish heap, and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, he jumps in on it. He's another critic who was standing beside him and remarked, that stone wall will collapse, would collapse even if a fox walked along the top of it. So as we read the scripture, this takes us back to middle school. This takes us back to where we are walking in the hall and there's the cool kids and the jocks and the, the nerds and, and the, the unseen and all of the different crews that we have. And then all of a sudden, somebody sees someone they can pick on and so they start jumping on them because there's something that they are threatened by. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, folks, if people are criticizing you, it's probably because they are threatened. And what people fail to, what we all probably failed to understand when we were in middle school is that we do not look better by tearing other people around us down. That does not work. That's what they were doing. They were getting together in the little little huddle and they were talking about Nehemiah and the, and the people that were rebuilding the walls. There's only one problem with this that they didn't understand at the time. They weren't just talking about these people. They were talking about the God that they serve. And that's the key here. And so the weapon of mass destruction for them was discouragement. We see this all throughout the scriptures. These critics, they could not, they, I mean, within a day, the wall was already half built. And I'm not talking about two or three feet. I'm talking about 10, 20 
30 feet tall and it was already in one day being rebuilt. But what I want you to see, and I told you a moment ago, discouragement is the weapon of a weak person. Discouragement is a weapon of a weak person. If you have got discouragers in your life, understand that it probably comes from a place of weakness. If you are a discourager, try to get God to show you why you're being so discouraging of other people. Because we discourage when we are threatened. We discourage when we are hurt. We're discouraged when we're angry. We discourage when we think that we can make ourselves look better, just like in middle school, but it does not work. Sambalit and his gang of disruptors did not like the fact that Nehemiah and his people of Judah were successfully rebuilding the wall so quickly. Sambalit knew that if the Jews were to prosper in their work here, that he, as a governor of Samaria, would begin to lose his power and prestige. We saw in chapter 2, verse 10, that Sambalit was upset that a powerful man was coming in with the backing of the Persian king to do this. See, Sambalit and these governors, they couldn't do anything because they were working for the very king that certified this mission, that gave Nehemiah the papers and the credentials that he needed, gave him the materials and the people that he needed, so they couldn't come against him. They couldn't fix a trial. They couldn't do anything underhanded other than discouragement. In chapter 2, verse 19, they begin to taunt and get into the heads of Nehemiah and the rebuilders through things like intimidation, slander, personal verbal attacks, probably hashtags on Twitter if it would have been around back then. They do whatever they can to assassinate the character of the people that were doing God's work. These attacks of discouragement did not work, so they had to increase the pressure. What we see here is that they were trying to push the button to stop the work through discouragement, and so it wasn't working, so that led them from being concerned to angry. He flew, we see here that, that Sambalit flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews. He got so mad that he began to not mock Nehemiah in front of his people and his friends. Sambalit was angry. But again, as I said in a moment ago, why was he angry? Because he was fearful. He was fearful that he had to lose something. My friends, when you treat people with discouragement and anger and disrespect because you are afraid that somebody might say that you're wrong, when you're afraid that you might not be invited to that party, when you think that you may not be included in that job promotion, if you want to jump in with everybody else and talk about somebody that's doing the work of God and be a part of that discouragement, be careful. Because the reason you're doing that is because you are angry, you are threatened, and you are fearful. And if people are doing that to you, Christians, let me let you know something. (laughs) It's almost like people are acting out today in terrible ways. And we as the people of the church need to look past those awful actions and see what's really hurting. The reason people are attacking, the reason people are discouraging, because something in them is hurting. 
And also, let's not be uh, too uh, naive here. Samuel was angry, but also there was some racism going on here. What? There was racism back in the Bible? Absolutely. There's still racism today. And it was strong. 300 years before Nehemiah was doing this work, Israel was conquered. So what would happen is, is that the, the people that conquered the, the, um, the people that conquered Israel, they would bring in all of these foreigners to those Jews that were left. They started to intermarry. And so that way, the values of all these people that did not love God mixed in with those that did love God. And then eventually, it just kind of faded out. They watered down their faith. And, and that is exactly what the, the occupying territory wanted. They wanted all throughout history. You see, whether it be with Pharaoh or you see it with these countries and these kings, is that they're afraid that if the Jews get together, that they will be more powerful and overtake them. I still think that's true today. The people of Jew, the Jewish people are still persecuted. But God still has a plan for them. And so I can hear the condescension from the critics and their sarcastic tones as they were talking to Nehemiah. You could probably hear it too. We see it today when believers are criticized for taking God at his word, the whole world. You, the whole word of God. If you want to get critics, if you want to get discouraged, you take a stand on what the Bible says about social issues. You take a stand for what, if the Bible says it, that's what we live by. Yes, you will have a target painted on your back, just like Nehemiah, just like all the people that were rebuilding. My friends, if we were to try to rebuild the walls of morality in accordance with God's word, we would have the same fight today. But see, when discouragement attacks, what is your greatest weapon? Your greatest weapon is prayer. Look at verses 4 through 5. It says, then I prayed. This is Nehemiah. They're coming at him full force. They're giving all the discouragement they can. And he doesn't get back at them. He doesn't start telling them, you know, he doesn't start returning their insults with more insults. And so what he's doing, he says, then I prayed. Hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins. They have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Now, I don't know if that's the healthiest prayer to pray. What was he praying here? He's saying, God, you need to get these folks. (laughs) You need to get these folks because they are driving me crazy. And he's praying, and he's praying that God would, would, would discipline them. And now, people would say, you know, today, well, that's just not a very spiritual prayer for him to pray for God to really take care of somebody like that. Well, you're probably right. It's not the greatest prayer. But I tell you what, here's the good thing about him praying that prayer. And even you, when you get upset with some people, or you get upset with a circumstance, or you are angry about something, even if you want to pray, God, I just pray you rain down your judgment upon them. Leave it with God. Because here's the thing. If you pray that prayer, even Nehemiah's prayer that he prayed here, it was you probably wouldn't see that on a church bulletin prayer request. <laughs> but that was his heart. His heart was breaking. He was mad, and he took it to God, and God said, I got this. You've, you've blown off your steam. You've told me what you need. Now let me handle it 
like only I can handle it. And that's the good thing about this prayer. When you go to God and you're honest with Him and you tell Him how angry you are, you tell Him how frustrated you are, and you leave it with Him. And He says, I got this. And here's the thing. As you look at this passage, He prayed and then they went back to work. But still, look, prayer is not a replacement for action. Nehemiah prayed to God for help, but he still had to get the people to go back to work. Nehemiah was asking God to show his enemies that they were not ridiculing him. It was God. And that's what made Nehemiah the maddest. It wasn't that they were insulting him personally, Nehemiah, or his people, that when they were attacking him, they were attacking God himself. It was a holy, righteous anger. Nehemiah wasn't concerned for himself. He was concerned for the work that God had called him to do. But nowadays, for us, as in the modern church, if someone, if, if we take a stand for something and someone criticizes us, we take it personally and we're afraid that we're going to be a social outcast, so we say nothing. But when we realize that it's not us that are, they're mad with, it is God's Word that they're upset with, and it's God that, that they are dealing with, the best thing we can do is pray to God Tell them how we feel. Let God handle it and us get back to the work. That's what was happening here. It says in verse 6, At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. Man, they were like, Woo, this is good. It's like the first half of a football game. Woo, let's let's get in there. We're ahead. I mean, look at the score. This is great. God answered their prayers by giving them the one focus to continue working on the wall as they began to see the progress. That's the one thing. Y'all love working in a yard or love working on things. Some of you, I don't know if you enjoy cleaning the house or, or just all of us have different things that we enjoy doing. Why do you enjoy doing them? It brings you fulfillment. It gives you um, a sense of satisfaction. But also, sometimes we do things because we get to see some type of progress. So they're working and they're, they're making bricks and they're stacking these things and, and they're making the wall. And man, this is going good. And they're about halfway through and they're like, woo, this is good. Praise the Lord. And then, boom, it happens. Verses 7 through 10, Satan discourages you to doubt God. That's the biggest thing that Satan wants to do to you, believer, is to get you to doubt God, doubt your salvation, doubt his love for you, doubt his sovereignty over your life and the ability to put you where you need to be. He just plants that seed of doubt. It says in verse 7, But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashadites, heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. What do you mean they're rebuilding the walls? What do you mean they're halfway up? What do you mean that they're actually surviving? This is the third group to do this. We didn't, we thought we had them under our thumb. How are they doing this? We need to ramp this up. We need to stop this because if they complete this wall, we're out of jobs. So they got angry. It said in verse 8, they made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Verse 9, but we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. 
Again, how do you fight worry and how do you fight discouragement? Through prayer. It says in verse 10, Then the people of Judah began to complain, The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Folks, they were just a few minutes ago going into halftime thinking they were going to win the whole game. They were like, Woo, we're halfway through. We got our, our music playing. We, we, we've got all of our stuff going. We're shoulder to shoulder, and we are building this thing. Then all of a sudden, they get news of this anger and this plot that they are going to be physically hurt. That these people are coming against them. Whoa, wait a minute here. I don't know if we can do Look, you realize the wall being half built is the most dangerous place to be right now. Because they are looking at that and they're not thinking anymore. Boy, look how fast we got this done. It's like, man, we've been working all day and we're only halfway through. We can't turn around and stop, but I don't see how we're going to go forward. Discouragement just stop them in their tracks. And my friends, that's what discouragement will do in your life, in your spiritual walk. If you're not reading the Bible like you think you ought to, if you're not praying to God like you ought to, you're not telling people about Jesus like you ought to, then instead of starting to do those things, Satan just tells you you're a terrible Christian and you just, just give up and stop. No! They were not discouraged until they started feeling threatened. And my friends, if, if you are looking at your life and you say, well, you know, I, I'm not growing like I should as a Christian, but uh, I, I'm not backsliding either. Bull, There is no such thing in the Christian life as floating. If you think you are a floater in your spiritual life, floaters are dead. We are either going forward in our walk with the Lord or backward with our walk with the Lord. And there may be somebody here that hasn't even started that journey yet. And that's exciting. And there are some people that have been on that journey for a long time and it's become stale. You can get that back. Stop listening to discouragement. Because the wall, again, being finished was a critical point. Much was completed, but there was still much to be done. When I look at Holman Park Baptist Church and the legacy and the shoulders and the pillars of people that we are standing on today that have been through this church and through this community, it is exciting to see how God has brought us to this point. It is exciting to see that we are still viable, that the doors are still open, that we are still able to worship and do ministry here in this community. But it would be very tempted to say, Holman Park, the need in Holman Park community is too great or the church is too old or we are too small or we are too this or we are too that don't listen to the discouragement we are halfway finished with something that god is going to finish so we cannot let into the opinion of what home park community is like the opinion on what baptist church like ours are the opinion on what our congregation is We need to rely on God alone. There are plenty of people, plenty of studies that will tell us everything that we're doing wrong. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, with believing God, that he has called us to build what others started is God. And we are going to do that until our last breath. You cannot accomplish God's work without Him. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, 
Without God, this building here would be a social hall. It would be a storage facility. It would be a social club without God. God is the difference here. The people of Judah got tired and weary because the opposition of their critics was causing them to doubt themselves, their work, and God. They thought to themselves, we will never be able to build these walls by ourselves. And the thing is, is that I'll go ahead and tell you, God has got great plans for Homeland Park Baptist Church. It's not that we have been, we have not been good. I mean, God has, has blessed us for many years. Long before I got here, we've had a lineage of, of amazing pastors and families and people that have gone on. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around and see that we have almost had an entire generation fall in 10 years. And a new generation is coming back. So are we still going to put the square peg in the round hole and try to make it work like we've always done it? Or we are going to ask God to show us what he has for us. If God has been faithful all these years to start this church from a lady ministering to ten town people in the backyard there where the FLC is, yes, this church started as a church plant to reach people. We need to get back on a mission. All this stuff about Baptist polity and, and if the bulletin looks right and what color the carpet is and, and all of this other kind of stuff. we got a generation of people in here now that could care less about this. They want to see their families and their friends and the church that is part of the community doing something. And if we are being discouraged, we are at the exact point to where we have to say, is this work too big for us? Absolutely. As a pastor, am I out of my league at this church? Yes. I'm telling you, seminary and my experiences didn't prepare me to minister in Homeland Park. But God, God has been amazing. But I'm telling you, I'm out of my league here. I'm treading water. You guys and gals, we're here. But when we think about where is this church going to be in five to ten years, do you see it? I would venture to guess most of you haven't thought about that. If you do, you have a hard time visualizing that. It's not going to look like it was, but it's going to look like it is. And the thing, the reason I say that I'm out of my league is because that's exactly what Nehemiah was saying. And the point here is this. I'm out of my league. You're out of your league. We're in a work bigger than we could ever dream. But God is with us. God has got our back. And that's what Nehemiah is telling them here. And then it says in verses 11 through 14, it's time to rally. It says in verse 11, Meanwhile, enemies were saying before they know what happens, we'll swoop down on them and kill them. And in their work. So literally, they were thinking now about killing these people. But Nehemiah's opposition never stood a chance. Again, they couldn't kill Nehemiah and his people because, again, they were untouchable. They had the certification, the credentials of the king, and they couldn't do anything. If they were to kill those people, they would be killed. But fear 
These people, all of a sudden, they're building, and they started to doubt, but all of a sudden, God allowed it, the plans of these hateful people to be known to those that were building the wall. And so that fear pushed them to do one of two things. You ever heard of that term fight or flight? That's kind of what our body does when it comes to whether our body does what it needs to do to keep us from dying, or sometimes it just... It gives out. That fight or flight is that when you are in a situation that feels like a near-death experience or you feel like that you are threatened, you are either going to fight or flight. And that's where these guys were. The people with Nehemiah and Nehemiah himself, they could do one or two things. They could give up and say, okay, my bad. You can add, we are now the fourth group that tried to rebuild these walls and we're not going to do it. We're not going to make it. You've been threatening us with our lives, so now... You know, we're going to back off. That's what they could have done. But what did they do? They rallied together. They rallied together. Fear caused the people to rally together. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, showing the emphasis there that they heard about the plans. They will come attack us from all directions. Verse 13, So I placed armed guards behind the lowest part of the wall, in the exposed areas, and I stationed people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. You see here that Nehemiah took action. He didn't just say, oh, that's a disturbing report. Let's pray about it and then do nothing. No, he prayed about it, but then he protected. Now, these people that were building the walls, they were not construction like labor union people. Imagine your family. Your sons, your daughters, even the little bitty boys and girls that we have in our church, side by side as a family, shoulder to shoulder with other families, building these walls, and your children having to have build, build rocks, but also have to have weapons in their hands. This was serious, but instead of them dispersing and running, they came together. The fear caused them to rally together. Then as I looked, verse 14, then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Folks, when you are doing the Lord's work, remember it is his battle to fight. Nehemiah reminded the people that ultimately that this was God's battle. The problem is when It comes to doing God's work, there is very little fight because too many people are consumed with themselves. Well, if I stand up for this, what are people going to think of me? If I if I do this, what what are people going to think if I do bring my kids all the way into Homeland Park for a a church event? What are people going to think at all these other bigger churches if our church is not as big as them? What in all this comparison, all these things, or or you know, all of these questions that go through our minds? And my friends, if that's fear, we are going to fail every single time. I have told you once, and I'll tell you a million times, we are not equipped to do this, but God is through us. Sometimes we don't know we have the fight in us until we have to use it. Sometimes we don't know the fight is in us until we have to use it. We went yesterday to the county does a church safety seminar, and we we have some folks that help us out with church safety, and we're going to be getting together a, an official team to talk about what to do in situations that you've seen in the news and just to protect ourselves. But that's another story for another time. But one of the, 
one of the points was is that if there is a time to where you are threatened and all you have in front of you is a book or a pen or a whatever you can grab a hold of, you're going to use it so you go home with your family. Sometimes you have to fight when the fight is brought to you. Some of you don't know you have the fight in you, but I'll tell you what, when it comes to your doorstep, you'll find out. We fight against evil and we fight for one another. Verses 15 through 20. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans, that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. <laughs> they heard it. Yeah, we got you. We heard about the report. Nehemiah's got our back. We're going to keep working. Where it says, we all return to our work on the wall. That is the true victory of the whole passage today, folks. Check this out. Discouragement tried to get them to stop. Anger tried to get them to stop. Threatening their lives tried to get them to stop. But the true miracle was here. They went back to work. Victory is not just surviving an attack. It is found in continuing God's work. Every day, the days of this church, doors are open, is a victory. And I I tell you, verse 16 through 20, probably my favorite verses in all of Nehemiah. It says, but from then on, only half of the men worked, while the other half stood with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding the weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and the officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding and then God will fight for us. Do you see the picture here? They are building and you've got your families, you've got your friends, you've got your neighbors side by side rebuilding these walls. There is a credible threat on your lives, of your family and you and the work that you're doing. There is talk that there may be some kind of big attack and you may be threatened. So you don't know how to fight. You haven't trained your kids to fight. You haven't trained your grandma and your mother-in-law how to fight. But that's all right. They can build and they can put something in their hands. So if something happens, we are going to fight together. And if all of a sudden we get attacked and it's not on our part of the wall, but we hear the trumpet, we're going to run over there and we're going to fight with them because we are together. And folks, we need that mentality. We need to see that we are in this together no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord. God has called you to this church. God has called you to this moment for us to work together and to build what God wants to build here. And the alarm has sounded, my friends. There is an attack on God every day. There is an attack on churches every day. There is an attack on any kind of, pro- any kind of progress that any church makes. And we need to come together for that. Finally, verses 21 through 23, rally where God is at work. Rally where God is at work. Then I explained, verse 19, Then I explained to the nobles and the officials and all the people, the work is very spread out. We are widely separated from each other in the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. Then our God will fight for us. I just read that. I think it bears repeating. Then our God will fight for us. 
Then look at what it says in 21. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way, they and their servants could help with the guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. What is the big deal with, with the, the trumpet here? The big deal is communication. Nehemiah set up a communication system, much like our emergency response system that they test once a month. You know, this is a test, and then you have to, to hear all that. That's, that's in place, so if something were to happen, that we would be ready, right? But this here, when you hear the trumpet, rush in to fight. What that's saying is, this is where God is working. Come join us in that. And so you see right now, God is sounding a trumpet for us here in Anderson County, in Homeland Park, in this community, in this church. He's sounding a trumpet to say, do my work, do my will, grab together. You don't have to be at the same spiritual levels. You cannot do this by yourself. The preacher cannot do it by himself. But we can do it together. But more importantly, you can do it through me. So folks, I'm blowing the trumpet and I'm sounding the alarm. But ironically, in this passage, there is never a record of that trumpet ever sounding. But the main thing is, is that they knew that if it sounded where they needed to go, it was assurance that as they were working, even though they were under threat, they knew that if something were to happen, there was a plan in place. You knew if you're working on the wall with your family, you knew that all of a sudden if you were under attack, the horn would blow, and you would have people here in a heartbeat. I'm telling you what, I've been in situations before to where uh, you get in a situation and, and it goes bad fast, and you call law enforcement to come out. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, when you hear five or ten Dodge Chargers three miles away pushing it to the floor, that's a good, that's a good, a good sound to hear. When you see them all rolling up, with the blue lights on, you know finally you've got some help. And that's the thing here, folks, is that we see here that, that if we sound the alarm, that God is going to be with us and we can help one another. Each person was alert and ready, protecting themselves, and they were protecting others as well. Listen, my friend, if you've got a problem and you've got an issue with your family or you've got something that you're going on with personally, I as a pastor, but more importantly, as a member are going to come beside you and fight with you. There should be no one in here in this church that would fight against anybody in this church. We need to fight for ourselves and fight for others. More importantly, we need to do the work that God has called us to do. I got news for you. God didn't call us to pack the pews and go home. God called us to take the gospel to this world, to be a light in this community. We said it before, many years ago, when we went through the autopsy of a deceased church. If Homeland Park Baptist Church were to close its doors today, would the community notice? 
that that question has haunted me for years. And that's why we push. That's why we strive. That's why we do what Nehemiah is doing. Say, look, let's stay focused on the work at hand. And we see in verse 21, it says, We worked early, late night from sunrise to sunset. Half the men were on guard. Folks, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it's going to be work. It's going to be work. It's not going to be easy. If it were, be, if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. To finish up, there is a call to rally here at Holman Park. There is a call to rally here at Holman Park. What is a rally point? A rally point is a place designated by the leader where the platoon moves to reassemble and reorganize if it becomes dispersed. Folks, it's time for us to gather together, get on the same agenda, and to watch God work. Don't let discouragement win, folks. Don't let discouragement win because God is with us. Many can find reasons for the reason why God is not working in the Homeland Park community or in the Homeland Park Baptist Church. Maybe it's, well, the location of the church or the age and the demographics of the people that go there or leadership or all these other different things, the signs of the times and all that kind of stuff. Look, if, if you want us to sit down, we can come up with a long list of reasons why God couldn't do anything here. I'll help you make it, and I'll put my name at the top of the list. But when I see all the reasons that we can make it, there's only one thing on that list, and that is God. God is with us. God is not done with Homeland Park Baptist Church. God is not done with you, my friend. You are here for a reason. And we need one another. We cannot do this alone. And if your friends won't stand with you to do this, find some new friends. Where is Jesus in all of this? Jesus is still part of this scripture today because God is making sure that Jerusalem is being rebuilt, the walls are being rebuilt, that the people of Jerusalem are going to thrive because Jesus Christ, our Messiah, and our Lord will be coming out of the Jewish people. His, he will be born out of the Jewish people. So this is even here, Him, God, preparing the way for Jesus Christ. So we must do our part. We have to get rid of the junk and the rubble that has been left over in our lives from the years of trying to live on our own. We have to clear that away so that we can start the new work that Jesus has for us. We can say, I can't do this alone, but God, if you will give me your strength and your people to lock arm in arm with, we will rally around you. That God, if you will just give us this opportunity, if you will be our portion, if you will be our reason for doing this, if you will give us the vision to rebuild what God wants to do here at Homeland Park, then I will spend my every last breath seeing that that comes to fruition. What does that say to your friends and family to see a people that are so dedicated to the Lord's work? Some of you are here today because your parents were the same way here. Generation after generation. It's time to rally together. There will be discouragement. There may even be threats. But as we rally together, we can't do it alone, but God will do it through us. We just need to put in the work. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for our time this morning. And Lord, the invitation is just going to be this. The Lord, the call here is to 
to evaluate where we are with you, Lord. And then, Lord, if there's one person here today that is not a believer, that does not believe in you, and they have not been called to do your work, then maybe today is the day. Maybe today is the day to ask you to come into their lives, Lord. Maybe today is the day where you take the broken walls of their lives and rebuild them by your Son, Jesus Christ, to be no longer living in sin, no longer living in your, their own strength, Lord, but living in yours. Maybe there's people in here that want to say, look, I want to join Homeland Park Baptist Church. I want to join in what you're doing here. I believe in that. I know it. I see it. God has told me, and I want to find out what I can do to do that. Maybe someone wants to join the church or be baptized. Whatever their decision is this morning, may you work, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.